Hello, and welcome to episode 171 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, or in this case, Matthew has never seen before, and talk about the good, the bad, and the control top pantyhose. This week, we're going to be talking about what women want on your She's Not in the Refrigerator podcast. Matthew Vose, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vose. We're so original. Yeah. We say that every week <laughs> because we're so original. We're now kicking off Female Directors Month, films directed yes. by women. Yes, I was actually shocked when this one came up as being a film directed by a woman. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it was. So we're kicking it off. Yeah. I did not watch this. So, so this is, you know, we're doing a reverse one. This is one I've not seen that you have seen. Mm-hmm. So we're mixing it up a little. I didn't see this back in the day because I thought it was going to be crap. Um, <laughs> but just a, he can hear what women want. So he uses that to sleep with all the women. Mm. Basically, the the first section of Groundhog Day where he uses the power of time travel, repeating right. the day, to figure out how to bed all the women. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be basically that story, except there's one woman that he can't understand or something that he falls in love with. Okay, I mean, that's, but that's then see piece of it. Well, yeah, it's not it's not totally incorrect to be honest, but seeing it was directed by a woman and written by women as well made me think. Well, perhaps maybe this isn't that thing or it does it in a way that doesn't feel skeezy okay so more prepared to give it a chance Mm -hmm. frankly i hold women directors in higher esteem than male directors as you should but part of that is also the curated aspect of doing you know watching movies we tend to look at whether a movie's good or not in the first place anyway right and i mean i mean let's talk women directors you know there are so few films made by women it's like it's maybe 12 percent of the top thousand but i think generally it's somewhere around eight percent average which means it goes down to four percent in some years um you know it's a a terribly low statistic of, of films are directed by women um which means when they do get the opportunity to direct a film and it is then successful it usually stands out as being something pretty good so I think, again, it's a little bit of that aspect of the the curated aspect of it. You know, they are good directors when they get to make lots of films, as Nancy Myers has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like doing it. I, I've had discussions with people about whether you should do this at all, whether you should, like, just watch a movie and hope it's good and not matter who's behind it and this kind of thing. Mm. But if you w- only watch films from a certain demographic Mm -hmm. you only get the same stories and then it trickles down like you should also watch stories that are written by women and stories that star women and have women as camera crew and special effects not just the roles they always get 
Yeah, like attracts like. And so when mm-hmm. you don't proactively seek out diversity in mm-hmm. the things that you experience and partake, you're going to get stuck in a rut and everything you see is going to be in that bubble. And you're yeah. never going to go outside of that bubble. Absolutely. So you have to curate and, and choose mm-hmm. to seek out movies by women directors, movies written by women you know, African-American directors, African-American writers mm-hmm. and, and actors and, and all of these things, because if you don't, you just get stuck. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it hurts the representation of other people, what they can watch. So if, you know, me watching a film gives it another plus one on a stats chart somewhere that hopefully maybe helps someone else get a thing, mm-hmm. who knows, you know? Yeah. It's worth it for that. It, it's the same way I always, uh, you know, when you start a game and you have to build your character, I always pick the woman because traditionally, certainly me growing up, women were not a character choice in games. So if it's another plus one to the statistic on the spreadsheet that shows, oh, there's another player playing it, maybe that will help them do it more in future. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, find the people who are not represented and help them get that representation. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you like... You should try to find equality and an even distribution in everything. And and your point of it trickling down absolutely is is spot on because, you know, a, a female director is more likely to have a female story and from a female writer with a female producer and editor and mm-hmm. cinematographer and so on, but in a much more even way. You know, women direct very well. Stories by men, I'm not saying they can't do either. I mean, Catherine Bigelow is the epitome of that. She directs wonderful stories and she does not go to, I'm going to do stories about women's journey through the world. Right. You know, and she does it incredibly well. But but the statistics point to men are more likely to choose men. Yeah. So it means you're only watching men's stories. Directed by men, written by men, featuring men, edited by men. So let's let's try and get something in there. I am very flippant about the whole thing about like I'm bored of watching white men do crime and learn a lesson, um, which is a very flippant way. But there are times I just feel like that's the story I've been watching for thirty something years. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a good story, but it's not the only story. No, exactly. So, so absolutely. Here, here we are with a film about a white man getting powers and learning a lesson. <laughs> which is why it's interesting like let's see it if what if the story was told from someone else's you know the person putting the story together had a different take on it yeah Hmm. well we've kind of alluded to this but why don't you go ahead and tell us what you've written here as the brief synopsis of what women want chauvinistic advertising man mel gibson has an accident and finds he can hear women's thoughts and then learns a lesson and then learns a lesson. <laughs> so we have previously talked on the show about watching movies with problematic actors slash leads yes, in it. We have. Um, you and I have not specifically talked about Mel Gibson, but we've we've talked mm. about other people. Um, did Did you have any thoughts about watching a Mel Gibson movie and and why we decided to move forward with it? Not really. If I'm totally honest, no, I don't really have anything to say on it. It it is so hard to know where to come down because 
this is a famous film directed by a woman, so you don't want to erase the whole film. There are other good aspects to, the, to this film. There are people who will get revenue from you know the film being out there and um, being watched, so you don't necessarily want to erase it. That said, I'm not watching something by Woody Allen or Roman Polanski. <laughs> There are there are places I draw this line, um, and, and you know it is Mel Gibson is one role in this. He is the lead role, and it is trying to make this his story. Mm-hmm. But there are other other facets to it, so it, right. it falls Gibson, just on the side that I can accept it. But yeah. Mel Gibson is just a very small piece of this much larger story. Yeah, and to reject it and impact all of those other people because of his behavior is something I'm not willing to do in a mm-hmm. case like this. You know, it's different when you're talking about maybe J.K. Rowling and the world of Harry Potter. Yeah. Like she's the only author of those books. Yep. Right? Nobody else is going to be impacted if I stop buying those books. Mm-hmm. Am I going to stop buying those books? I don't know. Like, I'm trying very hard to separate art from the artist in that case. Just yeah. Because I'm so, like, in love with that world. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a completely, like, I... I am happy to stop supporting her mm-hmm. because it only impacts her. The the world is not at a loss for if we didn't have the Harry Potter universe. I I know you know we both love it. We both read it when we were much younger and really enjoy it. We went but on a the Harry s- Potter tour two years ago today or yesterday. Yeah, so we do love Harry Potter. But if I had to say I'm going to park Harry Potter. I'm not going to go, but now there's no fantasy about young boys learning their way in the world. Right, right. A- and it gives me the opportunity to go and find, what, what was the book that was being referenced? Akita Witch? A- and I saw it oh, because yeah. the author was doing this whole thing of, look, my book is not Nigerian Harry Potter. Please stop telling everyone it's Nigerian Harry Potter. <laughs> because it's so much more than that, and here's all the different facets to it and so on. But that right. caused me to go and look at it and go... Oh, hey, this looks cool. I might get this for my nephew. Okay. Like, uh, there is other content out there that we can go to. I think you're absolutely right. When it is the creator of the thing, it's very different. Mm-hmm. So one of the actors on The Flash was fired today uh, because of stuff he said before he was cast on The Flash. Oh. But he said on social media. And I can completely stand by that. They have taken a thing and gone, yes. So in this case, if we if we bring it back into our conversation... Would Nancy Myers work with Mel Gibson today? Probably, Probably not. not. Would any? No, exactly. But this is not Mel Gibson's film, hundred mm-hmm. percent and entirely. The show Roseanne, for instance. Yeah, perhaps that should have stopped, and they should have turned it into something else. Yeah, the Cosby Show. Yeah, perhaps we should change that into something else. Mm-hmm. If if it turned out Nancy Myers was usually problematic in some way, yes, this film would probably be put on a shelf and never picked up again. Right. That's a nice way to take that. I like that. Thank you. Okay. So, we've talked about why you haven't watched it, so why don't Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about this movie? What Women Want was released in 2000. It was directed by Nancy Myers and stars Mel Gibson, Helen Hunt, and Marissa Tomei. The film was written by Josh Goldsmith, Kathy Yitzba, and Diana Drake. The film was nominated for a number of awards, particularly in all the acting categories for comedy romance at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. Ooh, <laughs> Helen Hunt won for her performance. Mel Gibson was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actor. However, he lost to George Clooney for his role in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
What women, what women Want received mixed reviews. It was liked for the performances and some scenes, but often considered flat and with excessive storylines. However, it performed well, earning $374 million off a $70 million budget. There has since been three remakes, one in India, one in China, and a 2019 adaptation, What Men Want, with Taraji P. Henson starring in the lead role. The comparison to Oh Brother Where Art Thou, when I read that, it sort of made my jaw drop. This is a film from 2000 that feels like it could have been from 1990, that feels like it could have been from 1980. Mm, okay. Oh brother, oh brother, where art thou? Is a film from two thousand that could, feels like it could have come out now. Yes, it feels like a really modern, forward-looking film. Yes, and this feels utterly, utterly traditional trophy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, would you be surprised to know that this is the second highest-grossing rom-com ever in the United States and fourth ever. worldwide? Ever, ever. <sighs> uh, Love Actually first. No. Mm. Um, hang on, let me pull it back up. <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding is first. Oh, and then what women want? That's looking at U.S. only. Looking at worldwide, Pretty Women is first. Well, there's a foreign film called May Ren You that only made three million dollars in the United States. Okay. Um. So then we have Pretty Woman, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, What Women Want, and then there's something about Mary. Mm. Looking at worldwide, that like I can get behind Pretty Woman and My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but what women want, and there's something about Mary. Like, what is wrong with people? <laughs> um, what's that? What, so, what was the film that made the most? May Ren Yu, M E I R E N Y U. It's a story that follows what happens after a mermaid saves a professor who then falls in love with her. Mm. Sounds cool. Sounds like the splash we wanted. But not the splash we deserve. Possibly. It came out in 2016. Okay. In China. It's a Chinese movie. Yes. Sounds interesting. I assumed it was. China's just such a huge cinema market now. Right. Yep. That is the Ooh. highest grossing worldwide rom com. Cool. Ever. Good on them. Yeah. But then what women what women want? Second highest in the US. Yeah. It it speaks a little bit to rom coms don't go gangbusters. Like they make a good amount of money, but mm-hmm. seventy million is a really high budget for this. Yeah, product placement maybe. <laughs> Did they spend all their money on product? But I, I don't but think I see for... 70 million in it. Yeah, I don't. I wonder how much of that was Mel Gibson's salary. But even 15 million. Yeah. Let's say. Who knows? Who knows? Hmm. Um, where were you able to watch this in the US? I had to rent it on Amazon. Oh. Not available on any of the subscription services. Uh, interesting. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime over here. Well, that's just not fair. <laughs> Given I had to buy cellular. Okay, fair enough. And and enjoy it. To the extent we almost put it on the other evening, we were flicking through my watch list like, hey, we could just watch cellular. <laughs> Which, <laughs> having just watched The Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw, 
and oh. walked away disgusted. It would have been quite oh, nice dear. to watch Jason Statham do something good. Oh, gosh. Okay. What a... That's an endorsement. Okay. Oh, it was bloody awful, frankly. Okay. <laughs> Back to this Moving film. on. <laughs> Can you tell us what your experience is of the creator, director, cast of this movie? Um, so, Mel Gibson... I know him from Mad Max, but I watched them only a few years ago. Okay. Having, I'd like, I had seen some of them, if not all of Beyond Thunderdrome as a kid, but couldn't really remember them. And then Fury Road made me go like, okay, perhaps I should watch the rest then. Because Fury Road. Um, I know him particularly, I know him particularly because he's Mel Gibson, but The Patriot and Signs are the two films of his that I know. Yeah. Best. The most. Um, Signs. I think we've talked about signs. I'd sleep with the light on after watching signs. Just oh, did you? Got in my head. Just uh, the thing of like things watching you where you can't see them, which happens a lot in that film. Yeah. The fact that we arrived as the film was starting, so it was dark and sat, and my girlfriend at the time sort of yelped and grabbed me at any jump scare during it. The girl behind me kept yelping. It like, oh, really yeah, set me on I edge. remember you telling me that. Um,. And the Patriot, one of my we went like a whole group of us. One of my friends left during the Patriot because it was so violent. Oh wow! She was like actually crying as it turns out. We didn't notice. She just went nowhere. Like oh, going to the loop during this incredibly violent fight scene. Aww. Hmm. I really like the Patriot. Patriot's the first time I realized Rene Aubergenois was a, a movie actor because he was just Odo to me. Turns oh. out he's in a lot of other things. Um, yeah, he was in Mash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like the priest on Mash. He's been a big actor for years. Yeah. Mm. Um, Helen Hunt. Not much, if I'm honest. Did you never watch Mad About You? No. Oh. There was this whole period of um, American sitcoms mm-hmm. that I know some of. Like, was it Just Shoot Me? Mm-hmm. And was that her one? There were a few others at the time. The only one I can remember is Caroline in the City. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the reason okay. I watched that one. But <laughs> If you had asked yeah, me I... to recall sitcoms from the 90s, that would not be one that I remember. Yeah, right. <laughs> For some reason, I don't think I realized she was a, a TV actor more than a film actor. Okay. But I also haven't seen her in much stuff. I think I've... I, no, I have seen As Good As It Gets... I've seen Castaway, but cannot remember her in it. Um, I've not seen Twister, to be fair, so maybe that's the thing I should say. You haven't seen Twister? I haven't seen Twister. Oh my god, I love that movie. We have to do it on the show. We have to. We have to. Okay. Okay. Um, And I think the problem is, you know, you always think of Holly Hunter when you think of Helen Hunt. No, 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 I don't. And Holly Hunter's much better. Uh, (gasps) What? Yeah, Holly Hunter all the way. I love She's in Batman versus Superman. What more do you want? <laughs> I mean, they're completely different women who are badass for completely different reasons. Okay. So I'm going to pick both. Okay. Uh, Marissa Tomei. We just love Marissa Tomei. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'll watch a film. She's in it. She's another one of them. She was in a film with Gilda Swinton the other day. Really? Have you ever seen the pictures of Daniel Radcliffe walking lots of dogs in New York? Yes. I saw the film they come from. Oh. It's a film called that? It's a film called Trainwreck. Uh Amy Schumer and Bill Hader. 
uh, rom-com, but she's a kind of manic pixie dream girl party girl, and he's the square, and it's about their relationship, but it's it's told from her point of view, so it's quite an interesting take on it. They go, in the film, they see a film called The Dog Walker, black and white, and Daniel Radcliffe is the dog walker, and Marissa Tomei <laughs> is his date, woman that he's meeting, whatever, who's like, I really need someone to take care of my dog. And he goes, I'd be happy to take care of your dog. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of sort of slightly euphemistic lines at each other. Right. This thing. It's very funny. Okay. I was pleasantly surprised by Trainwreck, let me tell you that. Um, yeah, Marissa Tomei, she just crop, rocks up and everything so on. She so often plays, you know, the aunt, the sister, the wife, the, you know, she's not necessarily the star. But you're pleasantly surprised when she turns up in a role. Yes. Unless that role is Aunt May of Superman. Well, but even even that is... Oh, are you saying you don't like it? I have a hard time with it because... And, and this is... Just, I, I don't even know how to explain it. And this might be a horribly ageist or sexist thing to say. I don't know. But, like, Sally Field played that role in the... The Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. But there's such a huge difference between Sally Field and Marissa Tomei in age, maturity, stature. I, I can't, I can't explain it. It's just she's too young. She's uh, not uh, because she's the aunt. She's not. I get it, but you just expect an older woman in that part and like it's always been written as this and almost it's the they write her like they write martha kent why did you say that name you know silver haired yeah which is more of a grandma um, which yeah it's not grandma not an aunt so Mm. i I get it it's just it wasn't what i expected i mean she's a fantastic actress and she's great and i actually kind of like watching tony fall over himself when he's in the room with her but you know I really like it. I, I, the age-appropriate Aunt May. Yeah, I'm here okay. for it. All right. Mm, it's good. Um, ooh, interesting. But, again, still, it's just she's the aunt, the mother, the sister. the. Right. I don't think I've ever actually seen her carry film. Although it turns out she was in a rom-com with Robert Downey Jr. in the 90s. Oh, only you. Uh, the film is about a young woman whose search for the man she believes to be her soulmate leads her to Italy, where she meets her destiny. She is Faith Kovacs. Robert Downey Jr. is Peter Wright. Bonnie Bonnie Hunt is Kate Kovacs. Okay. Bonnie Hunt, who we saw in... Whatever the last one we did was. Rain Man. Good. That's way more than Marissa Tomei should get for her part in what women want, frankly. (laughs) And, of course, Nancy Myers. The Holiday. Something's got to give the parent trap. She's written a lot of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. We like her. We do. Yeah. I mean, something's got to give. Didn't like that so much. Even if I was dying Keaton, I'd choose Keanu Reeves. Spoilers for something's got to give, but I would not choose Jack Nicholson over anyone. Right? (laughs) Yeah, no. Because, because, you know, we've mentioned Roman Polanski. Turns out that the thing Roman Polanski is famous for doing happened at Jack Nicholson's, Jack Nicholson's house. So. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Mm. 
All right. Experience of similar material. I mean, it's uh, rom-com. Yeah. Well, but like I say, I was expecting this to be like a Groundhog Day, Liar Liar, Bruce Almighty click, the Adam Sandler thing. Um, Adam Sandler gets a remote control that can do oh, magical God, that things. That movie made me cry a lot. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, oh. sob uncontrollably cry. Fascinating. Because it was so bad? No, it made me sad. Oh. And I can't a, remember A it. part of it did. Trashy Adam Sandler films. But but this kind of guy is not a good guy gets some sort of mystical intervention. You know, the Christmas Carol, frankly. Mystical intervention. Yeah. That causes him to to change his ways. Um, that's what I was expecting this to be, and that is what I still think I compare it to. Although this does this in a slightly different way. Okay. More more akin to Groundhog Day than perhaps anything else. That's fair. Mm. Although it didn't take nearly as long for Mel Gibson to change as it did Bill Murray. So yeah. <laughs> All right, Matthew, did you enjoy what women want? Because I was pretty sure you were going to hate it. I, I didn't hate it. It was fun in places. Okay. But I feel like it lacked teeth. And and I think it's problematic in places as well. You know, okay. that, that fun is tempered by some of the other stuff they do. I, I think the, the issue comes out that this is a Mel Gibson vehicle. Is, I think, where the problem with it lies. Mm-hmm. There's a really good story in here. So the one of the first things we see of him is he wakes up and he's got this housekeeper who comes over and kicks him out of bed and he then goes to the coffee shop and he spills some coffee on a woman, helps her through the door, grabs her breast in the meantime, goes and hits on Marissa Tomei and then finally goes to work and has in, all these interactions at work. When he finally gets these powers, we see some of that. We see him going to work and sort of learning that people have all these thoughts about him that aren't what their outward appearance seems to be. Mm-hmm. Shock horror. <laughs> but I think if this was actually going for the story it has in it, it would have put him back in that place in the coffee shop and we would have seen the woman that he'd molested the day before and she would have gone like, oh, here's this molesting jackass again. I can't believe, I need to stay away from this guy. And Marissa Tomei would have been like, who hits on the server at work at, at the coffee shop? It's just terrible. I've just got to smile at you and get through this. But it doesn't do that. It does. Marissa Tomei is horny and thinks he's hot because he's Mel Gibson. They did it a little bit, though. They did it with Lisa Edelson's character. Yes. Which I appreciated and, a lot. And then she disappears from the film. She does. And they did it with the woman who was weighty criticized. And then she disappears from the film. And and then, so and not even like there are, you're absolutely right. There are some of them that he has to win over. But he wins them over by having salad and telling jokes against men with them. Yeah. I don't feel, and he goes to a yoga class to learn all the stuff about women, which is like, yoga classes don't look like that. Oh, no. <laughs> you know. Only yoga classes in the movies look like that. Yeah. The, the, the film does not have it in for Mel Gibson. It is on Mel Gibson's side. And I feel like there's a better thing here of him having to understand what's going on than just, I can make some changes based on what I'm hearing and win them over because I'm such a charming, nice guy. It could be like, oh, I need to fundamentally change. But by the end, he does fundamentally change. And I think the movie codes chauvinistic male, Mel Gibson, male Gibson, male, male, you know, <laughs> chauvinistic Mel Gibson. They code him as bad. Like the audience is intended to see him as an asshole. 
mm-hmm. and to see him the way the other women do. And even when we can't hear their thoughts yet, we know what they're thinking already because mm-hmm. we're so disgusted with his character from the beginning. And I think the movie in- intends us to see it that way so that okay. when he does go through his development, mm-hmm. we really get to see that change or we feel that change even though we don't necessarily see it as explicitly as you're saying you wish we had. The thing that makes me have an element of disagreement, you're right, but what really confused me was his dance sequence. His dance sequence. He's listening to Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, someone, sing a song called I Won't Dance, something like that. Yeah. And he has a little dance sequence on his own in his flat. Yes. So that's for the audience. That's for no one other than the audience mm-hmm. to show us that he's actually a nice guy who dances, who's actually quite charming and smooth. And blah, blah, blah. and I didn't read it that way at all. Okay, go on. Because he did that. Oh, okay. It's been a little while since I watched this movie, but he did that <laughs> specifically because he needed to like get the girl off of him. So he had to listen to a real man. To listen to Frank Sinatra. Okay, so he listens to Frank Sinatra. Like this is part of the thing because that is in uh, evocative of a Frank Sinatra type piece, a singing in the rain, the guys dancing together sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the? What an elegant, swellegant party! Whatever that film is, I dear listeners, know. please remind me because I cannot remember the name of the film. Um, it's that sort of. It is it, trying to be evocative of those characters that we are supportive of, that we like from those other films that we re- remember. Oh, it's Bing Crosby, he's playing the hero. Oh, it's Frank Sartre, he's playing the hero, largely. If he was doing it to get the girl off him, it would be... And I don't even know who it would be. It would be... I'm going to throw some names out here, and they're clearly not going to be right. Bruce Springsteen, Willie Nelson... George Thorogood. It would be manly songs going, grrr, she at home. And I think the film wants to try to portray him as actively not liking women. But I think there's an element that it's just he doesn't care for women more. And I'm not, I, I can never quite decide whether it comes, which side of that line it comes down on. If it was that he was misogynistic. I could see him learning his lesson and getting there. This is, he's never really thought about women. And now he starts thinking about women and understanding them better. It already starts him off in a nicer place than perhaps he could have done. And certainly that it seems to do when he sees a woman spills coffee on her and puts her up her breast. <laughs> I, maybe it's just I, mixed signals. Maybe. I mean, I, mm. I see where you're coming from. But I think you are, you just don't view Frank Sinatra the way the movie wanted us to. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, because Frank Sinatra is like, he's a man's man. He's he's a crooner, yes. And so you think of him as the kind of man, you, I think you think of women because women swoon and he does all of the dancing and it's it's romantic. But he's coded as, you know, he's got the fedora and the cigar and all of those things that are very masculine. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why, and, and 
classy, quote unquote. Like he's yeah, classy yeah. and elegant. And yeah, and, it's not blue jeans and white t-shirt. Right, and mm. Mel Gibson's character, I can't even think of his name. I want to say Nick. Nick? Is it Nick? Nick. He is a fancy schmancy ad exec who lives in this like penthouse apartment who is going to be classy and elegant and not listen to Willie Nelson. Okay, this is exactly the strange thing then, because classy ad exec, who is all about taking pictures of women in their bikinis, and when he tries to imagine, oh, what do I think this think of, makes me think of some Tahitian woman underneath a waterfall, and that's skeezy. That's not classy. That is that is on the line of, I just want right. to ogle. Right, you're, you're not hmm. wrong. Okay, but the introduction of this movie is... That like the first line of this movie is, do you know the expression a man's man? Mm-hmm. And when I hear a man's man, I think of things like Frank Sinatra. And that's how they're describing okay. Nick. A man's man is the leader of the pack, the kind of men, man other men look up to, admire, and emulate. And then they go on into the male chauvinistic stuff. Then they get the women to start talking. It's the the kind of man who just doesn't get women. Um, and, and so you kind of... I think the movie is saying a lot about perception versus reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and expectation versus reality and how men and women think so very differently. Obviously, it's about how men and women think differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Full premise of the movie. But I think by juxtaposing the the two statements at the beginning and then p- putting him with a singer like Frank Sinatra is just underscoring that difference. Okay. Because women listen to Frank Sinatra because it's romantic, and men listen to Frank Sinatra because he's a man's man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and why I, at least from my perspective, why I see it just slightly differently than you do. But I'm a woman, and you're a man. Of course, we're going to see it. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and and I think that's the thing. If it was that he was just this smooth guy who said the right things and was just. Men want to be him, women want to be with him, mm-hmm. which I think is what, what they're pitching at. It wouldn't be a guy who goes for bikini photos and randomly grabs a woman that you spill coffee on. Like, because that's, that's almost indicative of I don't get enough, so I'm trying to get it wherever I can, rather than this guy who clearly has a reputation of sleeping with all the models. and. But he's doing it not for the relationship of it. He's doing it for the sex Mm -hmm. he's doing it for the excitement he's doing it because he wants instant gratification right yeah and so for that to be what we see you know that that lends credence to the idea that he is this asshole but we're seeing a different point of view than the world he lives in sees Mm -hmm. right and so we're not really privy to the angles where we are privy to the angles where he is intentionally grabbing this woman's breast to the rest of the world. It was an accident. Right. Right. Okay. We saw it was an Mm. orchestrated accident, but in that reality, people who see him think it was an accident and now he's being a gentleman. He's helping her. He's opening the door for her. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so the, the persona that he puts off Mm. is not, asshole-ish even though we know it comes across that way because when we do get the inner Mm. thoughts of some other people we get oh my god if i have to listen to another one of those jokes i'm gonna kill myself yeah right yeah and so there's a line there but 
I think that he's not intended to come across as badly in that world as he does to us because we see more than the people in that world do. Mm. I don't know, that feels yeah, kind of I'd, meta. No, I, I absolutely agree with that because I think that's why the us seeing him dancing thing is like, I don't get this. It doesn't. It doesn't quite mesh with what they've tried to give us. A guy who dances in his apartment is not someone that meshes with the man's man description they gave us at the beginning, I think, for me. That's fair. So why that sort of threw me out. The dancing was weird. The choice of song wasn't that weird to me, but the the dancing was weird. Mm. But, I mean, people dance when they're alone in their apartment. Yeah. Whether it's this guy or not, that's the... You don't dance when you're alone? Of course I dance, but I'm, you know, I'll, I'll dance at the drop of a hat, frankly. Um, so, there's that side of it. The, the fact that I think it could have gone for the character and really made him work and actually really show. It, it could have been a message about the way men treat women. And I think if you did this now, it would be, potentially. And it doesn't do that. It does... We're going to follow... It does the Groundhog Day. This is why it feels dated. It does. We're going to follow this guy and see him start as an asshole and end up as a nice guy through mystical intervention. Okay. Yay. But it is nice to see. I, I think one of the reasons I like this movie, and I do, I like this movie. I mm. I was actually dreading watching it again because I didn't want my memories of liking it to be tainted and I thought it was going to be really, really problematic watching it now. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised that it's really not as problematic as I expected it to be. And I think some of that is because they do spend a great deal of time expressing how sexism is bad. Mm -hmm. And it could be done better, of course. And in what world... I mean, it feels like 2000 should be late enough that this addict agency isn't just now trying to market to women, mm-hmm. right? Like, that shouldn't have been a thing in 2000, but it probably actually was. I mean, how much do you think Nike paid to be the company at the center of this? Like, they got probably, a free advert yeah. in this, basically. It was such a good one, too. Yeah. Such a good one. I wonder if Nike ever used that as an actual ad campaign. You doubt it, but also... Well. I'll tell you the thing we've not talked about. He's got a daughter. He does have a daughter. I think you could completely lose the daughter from this film and not change the film. I think there's... You know, we mentioned people saying about multiple plots because as we were watching this, I was like, there's stuff going on here that's not coming to anything, which is a bit weird. Mm-hmm. the daughter is the one I think you could just lose. I don't think she adds anything. I, I think the only thing she adds is to give him a slightly softer side, a, a thing for learning. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you've already got that with the housekeeper. And the housekeeper, again, who disappears from the film. Yeah. The, the, there's a really interesting thing in here of him learning, not not in hearing women's thoughts, but then hearing a woman of colour and what she's having to do to earn money for her family and the mm-hmm. shit that she puts up with. But you don't get any of that. She just is piffing the film, and it's about him and Helen Hunt and his daughter. 
and I think I think his daughter is partially there. Part of the reason for that is to make him have the sex talk with someone, and then to hear women's reactions to it. <laughs> I, I think that film is the reason for the daughter plot. That scene, sorry. I see what you're saying. I'm not sure I agree. Mm-hmm. I think. How do I put this? I think it was important as for the story that's being told of how a man really needs to be considerate of women and to kind of understand how women aren't objects, which Mm -hmm. is how he treated them at the beginning of the film. I think it's important to show how having a daughter can impact that once you start believing yourself to be a dad and acting like a dad, which he had never done prior Mm. to these two weeks where she stayed with him. I mean, she called him Nick, right? (laughs) Didn't even call him dad. Like, more more into the guy her mom just married than her actual dad. Mm. And so I think having her be a part of this journey for him, I, I don't know that it would have been quite the same without a daughter there because okay. all of a sudden he got to experience this is how other men feel about their daughters you know and the other women mm-hmm. i'm talking to are someone else's daughter and while they didn't explicitly say that mm-hmm. maybe i'm reading too much into it but i i felt like that was a part of the story that was important okay hmm. yeah if that had come out more strongly that would have been a nice take on it. I just, uh, and particularly because it felt like the film could have done with trimming down a little. It was a little long. You know, it was a little long. There were, there were characters who came and went. The Marissa Tomei thing, the woman, not Marissa Tomei thing, Lisa Reddleston, the woman in that meeting that he tries to get to admit to doing the thing, who won't admit to doing the thing, mm-hmm. is never, you know, most of the other people at the ad agency, frankly, are never seen again. Right. I mean, the the, the romance with Helen Hunt is a bit weird because it almost feels like secondary to the plot where it kind of is Mm. because he doesn't really realize it's a romance until the end because he's using all of that time to subvert her to undermine her Mm -hmm. and isn't really aware of his feelings until he realizes oh shit i fucked up yeah right and so it is kind of secondary hmm and, and I quite like that it's not a primary thing because I'm not sure they have too much chemistry and I'm not sure the way she's written is entirely credible. Credible. That's an interesting <sighs> choice of words. The the way she's picked up at the beginning is, oh, she won that award that we should have won. Mm-hmm. But then they do a whole thing of they've never met each other before. If you run in circles where you are both competing for the same award at a ceremony, you know who each other are. And you've probably met several times. And you've gone for the same clients and some of the same... Like, you know, mm-hmm. that didn't work. And then... I, I, it feels almost tropey and obvious to do the thing that she's actually plagued by. You know, she comes across as so confident, but she's plagued by insecurities. And look, everyone in the world is plagued by insecurities. Because you know, that is, I think a truth of humanity and being right. a person um but the way she falls with him she way that she falls for him that whole like oh god i just looked at his penis 
Women don't do that. Women don't do that. I don't do that. No, women do that when they're looking at Led Zeppelin, specifically Robert Plant. (laughs) Hey, Mandy, go Google Robert Plant trousers. No. He, He wore some very tight trousers. No. But even if you do do that, you're not going to, like, while you're thinking it, like, clap your hands over your face, right? Like, yeah. That makes sense if she was saying it out loud, like we were hearing it. Like, it made sense to us because we could hear it. But if they had taken that VO over, it would have made absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. She's just standing there clapping her hands over her face and then turning around. And women absolutely. don't do that. No. And it's like... But it was funny. It, it, it's such a stereotypical rom-com female lead thing of she's capable and good at her job but she's also ditzy and clumsy and just oh she's so scatty oh god oh she's and she's so confused when there's a man there oh god it's terrible to make her more approachable compared to the intelligence and capability that you need your female lead to have and it's just it's such a crap thing to still rely on as like okay i didn't quite read it that way i mean that okay. w- that one scene yes but the other scenes, because we did get her internal thoughts before everything else was her reacting to Nick stealing stealing her internal thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Which I can understand why that would suddenly make you feel inferior because somebody else, like, your ideas are not unique. Mm. Your ideas aren't you. And to suddenly feel that someone else can come up with the exact same things that you were thinking are going to make you question yourself and your ability. It's going to make you doubt yourself. Mm. And so I think her reactions to those situations were completely realistic. Okay. But if we hadn't had her internal thoughts where we knew, if we didn't know that he was just saying what she had been thinking, she Mm. absolutely would have come across as inept, not good at her job. Why is she even here? But we know why she got hired, because she's good at what she does. Mm-hmm. She just hesitated. Because she's new, and he took yeah. advantage. And the film does very well in showing he actively takes advantage of her. Mm-hmm. And is crap about it. And then he comes to realize it, although... No, no, he does realize it before actually going through with it. But... He doesn't actually have to go through with it. And he can say something in the presentation. It's really hard watching this. Here's the other thing with this. It's really hard watching it in a post-Mad Men world. In a world where we have watched, or I have watched, many hours of people coming up with adverts like this, pitching the adverts, and doing interesting emotional things that tie into the story we've seen outside of the advert thing. Particularly in a world that was even more heavily chauvinistic and so on. Right. And then see it in this, you're like, okay, that's fine. I, it doesn't quite work. Again, it makes it feel really dated compared to what has come, to be fair, what has come since. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, and, and almost that's what makes the character really strange to watch because, you know, if you're talking a man's man, Don Draper in those things is established as a man's man. And that's why he's an anti-hero. He is someone that is not... We're not supposed to look at his lifestyle and go, oh, that's something I want. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Because clearly he's having a breakdown through most of the show. (laughs) But also he is suave and debonair and he, you know, women want to sleep with him because he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. 
so they want his attention, that kind of thing. That's the... Hmm. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's because we've seen better examples of this since. Okay. Hmm. I feel like in 2000, this made a statement that people weren't making. Possibly. Possibly it, it was part of and starting a conversation. Yeah. Making a statement. Mm. Other than, hey, we all like Mel Gibson, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Which, no, we don't. It's hard to watch this film in, in the mind of this guy, this rascal. God, I hope he ends up with a woman at the end. I hope yeah, he's really in happy. In 2000, we did all like Mel Gibson. <laughs> well, we exactly. Know better. It's hard. Um but talking Mad Men, which is called Mad Men because they have their offices on Madison Avenue. Okay. Why is this in Chicago? Why are all of the movies that we do on this show in Chicago? Right, but <laughs> I was watching this and it was so late in the game. I'm like, wait, this isn't New York. <laughs> I've just I... been assuming it's New York. I don't think I realized it wasn't New York mm. the whole time. I assumed it was New York. There's something late on where someone says something or or there's a sign or something. You know, there, there is just something that makes it go, oh, this actually definitely isn't. That's weird. Yeah, it's no? it's so strange. It just feels like it feels like Nike wouldn't be going to Chicago for a for their their ad agency. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know uh, anything and, about that world. And like, so the the uh, remake of this, what men want, is set in Atlanta. Okay, but because they're not in ad agency anymore it's about sports representation sports management it's jerry Maguire. okay basically okay. and there's sense. there's this whole thing of it's about to be the nba draft and all the different drafts that go through there so like it kind of made sense okay plus you get lots of tax credits for filming in uh, atlanta so yeah <laughs> do we want to touch on the problematic stuff well i think we have to because mm. it does have some it does. Um, and actually, most of it centers around the whole Lola storyline. Story mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, because we start with her telling him no, but then we get her internal monologue that's not, not really a no, which kind of says maybe no isn't always no, which is not something we want to be saying. Yeah, no, it's right? a hard it's, thing. No means no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, even before that, we've had the fact she works at the coffee shop and he's hitting on her. Yeah. Which, in the modern thing, is eh, not really the done thing. Yeah. Mm. And then, God, what they do to her. Like, I, I like Marissa Tomei. And, and it's like in my notes, I'm like, I hate Lola. But I don't actually hate Lola. I hate what they did to her. They turned her into the kind of woman who, because she had really great sex... Mm-hmm. all of a sudden can't live without him, is out of her mind crazy, waiting for him outside of his building with her hair, like, all crazy. She's been crying. <laughs> yep. She just looks like an absolute <laughs> mad woman, and it's because he hasn't called her. Like, mm. don't do that to women. Don't do that to women. Mm. Don't do that to people, right? But especially don't do that to women. It's just... It would be fine if it was that they were on an equal power level and agreed it was a one-night thing or something. 
Right. And then, because again, part of the point of her is to have the sex scene. Right. And I will say the sex scene is very funny. It is. I I enjoy it. I enjoy what they do with it. Again, if they had teeth, they would go for it even more with him being a disappointment to her. But they don't, and they still get to have the thing of, and now he's great, naturally. Um, But But I think... To have gone into it with her specifically saying, don't hurt me, I've been hurt too many times before. Mm -hmm. And he uses the, we can go as slow as you want, I won't come up if you don't want me to, to get her to get him to come up. Yeah. Like, it's... It's borderline non-consensual. It's, it is what they do in Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing, which is why it was so like, oh, come on. Yeah. And so you get the good scene. And then you get her as a wild woman because she's had great sex and so now she's desperate to see him again and again and again. And realizing that the only reason he doesn't want, or, or her thought of the only reason he doesn't want to be with her is because he's gay. Otherwise it would hurt her too much. So he says, yes, I'm gay. And her reasoning for him being gay is because he's able to talk about women's issues and has a great fashion sense and understands her. Yeah. There is this thing that I've only started noticing, and, and I, I, I've probably read something that sort of triggered this this way of thinking that Pop culture tends to represent the gay man equals woman. That does happen often. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever properly picked up on it. And maybe maybe it's even as I've grown older and known more non-straight people. And gone, oh, okay, so these representations I've seen in media are not true. So cool. Right. The thing that I've noticed recently this year that did it was Shit's Creek. She's oh. early on has an episode where the mayor wants to go shopping for his wife, so he asks um, Daniel Levy to go shopping with him. Mm. And then they do this whole joke of, well, of course he's got great fashion sense, and you know, because he's an elegant man. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. So that scene is tough. One because we do have the assumption from her. That there has to be a reason he doesn't want me. And the only reason I can handle that is if he's gay. Mm-hmm. Because if he's not gay, he's just rejecting me and I can't handle that. Which, one, is problematic. It's mm-hmm. it's a weak character. Like, that's just a shitty thing to do to a, a female character. Mm-hmm. Two, it does equate having these quote-unquote feminine ideals making you gay yep right mm-hmm. and then you have him agreeing with her and saying yep i'm gay mm. which on the surface i like because he is in that moment recognizing that he really fucked up and he's trying to lessen the damage that he did mm-hmm. so it is on the surface a noble thing to do but as soon as you start pulling on that thread it just yeah. all falls apart it's, uh, you know, th- to lie in that way is terrible and doing a thing. And it just, ah, it's all so annoyingly bad. Yeah. The better oh. thing would have been, one, for them not to have written Lola that way. And two, for him to have been honest with her mm. and said, I'm sorry I hurt you, 
but I never intended this to be a relationship. I just wanted to have sex with you. Like, mm-hmm. let him be a mate. Oh, God. God. Wow. Wow. That's how Man up and grow up here, eh? Yes. That is how deeply ingrained into us. It's so hard, is. isn't it? Yeah. It is. Mm. But he should have been, how about this? He should have been a grown-up mm-hmm. and owned what he did instead of lying about it in that way. Yeah. But and the movie shouldn't have put him in a position to have to lie in that way. He's been able to hear her thoughts. He knows he she went for him because she thought he was cute and hadn't had sex in a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean they could have done some better, you know, characterization even on that. But there is scope there for him to actually deliver some aspect of therapy of there's going to be a guy out there for you. Don't judge it just on looks and you're longing for a guy in bed because oh, the right yeah, guy that would have been good you know something actually i'm not the right person for you because you're going after this and perhaps there's someone that you should be looking for well especially since they did do that with him and some of the other women at work right mm. telling that one woman to um talk to her man about whether or not she's interesting mm. right like he took that route with them not even to get anything other than just to make them like him. Yeah. Like, he wasn't actively trying to manipulate them to do something mm-hmm. other than to see him as a person other than this asshole they've always yeah. known. And he's at work telling jokes and eating salads to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, because you have to be a woman to interact with a woman. <sighs> Which is another slightly problematic thing they did here, but... Yeah. All in all, it was way less problematic than I expected it to be. Yeah, there were uh, there were a couple of moments like that that stood out as like, oh come on, this is there's way better th- ways of doing these things, and you should realize how bad it was. But I thought it was going to be pretty abhorrent in its views on women in general. Yeah, and and on the flip side, Helen Hunt comes in and gives them this task. Gives them this task of looking at all these women's products which are in pink boxes. But fine, fine. We'll move past that. I don't want to, but I will. Um, It was 2000. Just let it go. He goes through the box and he actually starts trying the things. He does put on the the nail polish and he does put on the mascara and start thinking about it and so on. In bad ways and it doesn't work out for him and he so on and so forth. But he doesn't fundamentally reject it because it's to do with women. Right. He does actually accept that, okay, maybe there is some value in this and maybe I will try doing the thing. It doesn't lampshade it as much as it lampshades some of the things that it does badly. Okay. But that's, that's a nice thing. I completely appreciate them doing that with him. I think, I, and this is the thing I was said with Mad Men as well, like, I wish they'd done more of the advertising stuff. Mm-hmm. And like thinking about these things in a different way. There, there are a few films out there that do this, like taking different looks on the way people buy and the, the way we advertise things that are really interesting. Like, oh yeah, you should you should do those jokes in those ways. That that is a bit more fun. Yeah. Something about pantyhose. You know, I'm not an advertising person, so I'm not going to come up with it. But that incorporates the fact that they are <laughs> so easy to tear into the advertising right although it did just make me think of that thing of you know if men had to wear pantyhose they'd be indestructible in the last few years yes <laughs> you know? yes they would 
It's so weird saying pantyhose tights for everyone listening. <laughs> pantyhose and tights are two different things in the US. What? I mean, they look the same, but tights are not sheer. They're they're thicker, a much thicker material. Okay. And and pantyhose are that sheer tear very easily nylon material. Okay. I think we just have tights. And I'm clearly not the person to be talking about this, so I don't know why I'm about to, but I'm gonna. We have tights that are given a different denier, so they have a different number against them about how thick they are, I think. Okay. Oh shit, I'm going down a rabbit wall and I have no case in doing. Where's Catherine when you need her? We've got Catherine and Laura and Kate and everyone just listening to this like, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let me just get you out of this hole. Mm, Um, Please. (laughs) Did you have any favorite moments, lines, scenes from this movie? That many, huh? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The very ending. It's really obvious stuff, but I do quite enjoy it, where he's going. And Helen Hunt almost lets him go. And I would have dug it if she'd let him go, but that's because I'm looking for the film that does not force the relationship to happen. But fine. It ends with him down the stairs, and she finally comes back over the stairs, and she's very romantic at him with her whole, what sort of knight in shining armor would I be if the man asking for help didn't get the help that I could give him? Whatever she says. Fine. But they do this whole thing of, the camera's looking down at him and up at her. Mm-hmm. So you've got this power differential. He is finally being shown as lower than, and you know mm-hmm. he is accepting that position as lower than, which is good. But then they meet midway on the stairs. She comes down to him, he comes up to her, and that's where they finally get together. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that I like sort of it. symbolism in the film. Yeah. It's not subtle. It's pretty on point. But it, it works for a nice, you know, coming together in a relationship. Because I wasn't sure how he was going to recover, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Not everything has to be subtle, though. No. Just saying. Yes, that, that was nice. Um, I was trying to remember earlier about the other plot line that could have been cut. Because I have seen a couple of people who talked about um, Judy Greer. Mm-hmm. Could have lost all of that entirely. And I think that is actually stronger than the plot for the daughter. Okay. I think him hearing this person who he utterly would not have considered anyway Mm -hmm. has no sexual interest in, hasn't been able to befriend, Mm -hmm. just is a, you know, in orbit of his world, as it were. But when he realizes she might need help, he's prepared to go and help her. Yeah. Because of this gift he's been given. Again, it's very Groundhog Day. The point where he just starts saving people because no one's going to, his decision is no one's going to die on this day. This is him doing the thing of, like, I can help someone here, and that is more important than whatever I want to do. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know that I had thought about this before, but it it kind of says something about human nature. Is Alexa talking to you again? Something else beeped, and I don't know what. It, 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 it says something about human nature, I think, because what these kind of movies say are that people like Nick aren't inherently bad. Hmm. they are just in their own orbit. They don't see anything else, mm-hmm. and that's how they're reacting to life. But as soon as that orbit expands, because all of a sudden he can now hear the thoughts of other women, he yep. can hear Judy Greer's thoughts and know that she's going to be 
that she's going to hurt herself and he steps in to help. Mm. There are some people who would hear that and still not help. And yeah. and movies like this, I think, take a stand that humans are inherently good. Mm. And and I don't know that they do that on purpose, but that's kind of the feeling you get out of it. And I think yeah. it's interesting because I kind of want to see the movie where you have two people who both have, you know, get changed in this way and one decides to act on it and use that information. And the other one is just like, well, I don't care. I don't know this person. Mm. Why, why do I care what they're going to do? Hmm. You're reminding me of other stories that do similar sorts of things. Again, like two takes on, on the same ideology. Um, we referenced uh, the first 15 lives of Harry August. Mm-hmm. Does some of that in the book? Does some of that? And then her follow-up book to that was called Touch, which does some really interesting different versions on that. Okay. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I liked the Judy Greer storyline, and I liked the denouement of it. I didn't like that it was... He asks a woman where to go and mystical ways, old Chinese woman, <laughs> tease him down the yeah. thing that allows him to take. Okay. But he loses his power, but then he still goes and helps her. And he... Yeah. Hmm. Although I do have to wonder, like he gave her a job and then he immediately yep. goes and gets fired. Does she still have that job? Well, who knows? Who <laughs> knows? I mean, he gave her a job without actually seeing whether she's good for that job. Right. Which is a little bit the same thing with Mr. Tomei. It seems like he's doing the nice thing by saying, yes, I'm gay. But actually, she needs to change what she's doing and have some realizations about herself, perhaps. So, yeah. Mm. How about you? Anything that stood out for you? I really like that she fired him. Mm-hmm. And then they still ended up together. Yeah. That would not be the expectation. And I like that, you know, she acknowledge like i didn't know what to respond to first and so that's what i did yeah but i still love you Mm -hmm. you did this really shitty thing of course it's going to impact your job things have consequences but i still love you like i thought that was great yeah and different that you in in a different rom-com they would have ended up co-directors and married Mm. co-creative directors right Mm -hmm. they would have both gotten what they wanted and lived happily ever after and so i really like that they went a different way right and the cast of this movie well yes bonkers (laughs) like i forgot how many different people were in this movie Mm. like not even talking about you know helen hunt and mel gibson we've got alan alda sarah paulson judy greer bett midler Bet Midler's in this. Bet Midler suddenly comes on screen. I'm like, wait, that's Bet Midler. That's what? Bet Midler. That's Bet Midler. <laughs> Delta Burke, Lisa Edelston, Loretta Devine, Eric Balfour, Lauren Holly. Like, they're all in this movie. It's amazing. Did you see who had one of her very first roles in this? Sarah Paulson. Yeah. This is like her first film, or one of her first films. And it's just, she's another one who crops up in films. And you're like, oh, Sarah Paulson's in this. I'm going to pay attention. This is going to be good. Yeah. You know. She's fantastic. She's always been fantastic. Mm. And again, another one who plays the friend, the sister, the wife. Yeah. The, mm. Until she hits American Horror Story. Yeah, which I've never watched. So. Really? Mm. At least watch season one. Mm, okay. 
Season one is fantastic. I'm gonna wait until another time really when, weird. I, when I want really positive stuff. <laughs> or, or I can That's deal with not fair. positive stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. I mean, it is called Murder House, so mm. maybe not right now. But did you ever watch American Gothic TV series? No. Okay, that that was the first thing I ever saw her in. That okay. is what she will always be the thing. But again, she's the sister. Mm. To who was the guy in that? Who was the main kid? Lucas Black. There's a name. Um, good. On, yes. The, the cast is pretty, pretty, pretty exceptional in this. I'm trying to figure out the what I know her from. The first thing she ever did, I think, it was a television show. Jack and Jill? Jack and Jill. Jack yes. And Jill. That's what I know her from. Jack and Jill with Amanda Peet. That's, well, I will always remember that as the first thing I ever saw her in. And I loved her in it. And that's what made me start watching other things that she did. Jack and Jill, who, of course, was in Studio 60 with her. Amanda Peet, who was in Studio 60 with her. Oh, is that the thing that Jamie Presley is famous for? Yes. Ah. I've always assumed there must be something she's famous for. She just seems to be it's famous. the only thing that I actually remember her in. Okay. Although she did stuff like not another teen movie and I love mm. you, man. Cool. But that's cool. what I remember her from. Mm. Okay. So is there anything else that we need to discuss about what women want? Isn't that my line? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Would you like to ask it? So is there anything else that we need to discuss about what women want? Mandy, what do you want to talk about? What does Mandy Woman want to talk about? I don't know. I can't think of a way to make that funnier. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now that you've seen this one, do you want to watch the reverse gendered remake from last year, What Men Want? Or have you seen it yet? I've seen it. You have seen it? Yes. Okay. I, I watched it the day after this one. Cause, cause, and that was, again, part of the reason of watching this was I was interested to watch that one. Okay. So mm. you, you did watch it right after. Yeah, that, you did mm. talk about that a little bit. It, it's really good. Okay. It is. The ending is not necessarily quite as strong. No, the ending is really strong. The growth of the main character. It is. There's. I, I've seen a review basically that says she's supposed to learn a lesson by this. And I don't think she does. She does, but it's not the same lesson that Mel Gibson learns. Okay. But the okay. some of the comedy I think works even better. I mean, the sex scene is done almost beat for beat, exactly the same. And it's really oh, funny because of okay. it. And it, it is really good because of it. Um, Interesting. Okay. I would recommend the the, the, the remake. It's okay. really good. I thoroughly okay. enjoyed it. I liked Raji P. Henson. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, a really good supporting cast in that one. So. Okay. That was quite fun. Um, I'm kind of interested in some of the international remakes. Because uh, one of them... Was it the Chinese one? Because there's there's a Chinese one and there's an Indian one. The Chinese one is classed as a romantic action comedy. As a what? Romantic action comedy. And I'm like, I'm into it. If it's going to be... Because it's still apparently about ad agencies. But it oh. seems like there's action elements to it. So I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm here for, you know, mixing up genre. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay. How about you? Were you interested in watching the, the, the remake? I was, and then I forgot about it. Okay. And then we started talking about this one, and I remembered it again. Yeah, because it came on Sky a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Okay. So I'd been like, oh, I quite fancy watching that. Really weird. I've seen I've seen three different posters for it. There's one of her surrounded by people, and she's holding two golden balls in her hand. There's a thing of like now she can the implication now she can hear what men want. She has them by the balls type thing. There's a picture of her and Tracy Morgan both kind of pulling funny like (laughs) coy you know funny face type things. Oh yeah, I see that one. Which is completely not true because her and Tracy Morgan interact but it almost by having the two of them it sets up that they're the relationship they're not the relationship and there's another one of her with her female friends and she's like looking all empowered and they're distracted yeah that one is what the film is but it's so weird that there are these three different like they're trying to advertise it in different ways yeah yeah that's Mm. interesting i didn't know tracy morgan is in it or i forgot tracy morgan was in it Mm. how about that Uh, doing the doing his tracy morgan thing yeah That's which well it, it's fine but he's <laughs> okay. he's he's not the main person in it and certainly not the main guy in it so. well it is apparently available on hulu so uh go check it out yeah, yeah we, we, we should if you watch it we should catch up on a future episode and talk about it okay mm. good all right well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Bug Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give, even $1 a month, it gives access to exclusive content, it gives you bonus shows, early shows, and we will even send some merch and card and stuff to you in the post. Plus, you get to help support the network and help us develop new shows. So if you want to find out more, you can visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Whip It. Until then, I am Andy Kay. And I'm the man-eating bitch Darth Vader of the ad world. That's what they say, Matthew. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.